This week on Painting Lines. Another guy that could have been the player of the year is Sinner. In terms of guys that outperformed probably expectations, he probably was the number one guy. This season was insane for Djokovic. And I don't think it was even his best year. Jeez. <laughs> which is just crazy to say. Djokovic was just like, no, 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 no. I'm still the king. And that Cincinnati final will go down in history. Like that is monumental. Welcome to the Painting Lines Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things tennis. Join Eric and Aiden in their discussion for updates on news and pop culture, and from hot takes to betting, they've got you covered. Ready? Set. Welcome back to Painting Lines. Last week, we gave our recap of the Next Gen Finals, and this week, we're going to be doing our season awards for the 2023 ATP season as a whole. So overall, I thought it was a pretty solid, pretty entertaining season. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I mean, I definitely thought it was a great year. I'm pretty sad that it's over. I've kind of just found myself, you know, trying to watch tennis highlights, not really finding much. But about the year, man, we saw some epic matches, some retirements, injuries, comebacks, new title winners, a Sitsipas Baudosa relationship, which I'm pretty excited about. <laughs> some coaching changes, Boris Becker's back on the tour. That's exciting. A lot of drama. We even saw a Netflix series. And then ultimately, the tour was still dominated by a 36-year-old Novak Djokovic, which, to be honest, I was surprised about. Um, I don't know about you. What uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the fact that Djokovic is still able to dominate at his age is pretty insane. But even though Djokovic still dominated, we saw like the people that he's going to be passing it over to when he eventually does retire. And it seems like the tennis world is going to be left in good hands. Mm -hmm. I think so, too. Um, do you have a favorite moment from the year? Favorite moment of the year, I think, kind of ties into something I'm going to talk about later. Mm -hmm. But I think when Djokovic won in Cincinnati, I think that was my favorite moment of the year because it, it brought him back almost. Because in the first half of the year, Alcaraz really seemed like he was stepping up to that next level. He was taking over. He won Wimbledon. And it was like, is Djokovic done? Is this the passing of the torch right here? this Wimbledon final. And then Djokovic was just like, no, 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 no. I'm still the king and wins this Masters 1000 final in an epic match and then kind of dominates the remainder of the year too. So that that's, I think, my favorite moment because it was such a critical turning point. Yeah, that's a great point because like I said, I was surprised that the tour was dominated by Novak, but then you said it right there. Like once that Wimbledon loss happened, he just kind of turned it around. And that Cincinnati final will go down in history. Like, that is monumental. But for me, I mean, my favorite, I guess, thing, not really a moment, but my favorite thing of the year was just the emergence of Ben Shelton. Like, to me, that was so exciting to see him kind of come into his own and potentially be the next top American. Because even if he isn't going to win a slam himself in the next couple of years, he's still pushing the other Americans to be better. Like, we brought this up before. You know, some of those guys were considering him a little brother, but now he's beating them. So I'm I'm pumped to see what the future has in store for Ben. Yeah, and he he has such a momentum behind him that, like you said, he can maybe push these guys because it seemed like the Americans had almost topped out. Like, I mean, obviously it's a 
crazy level to top out at, like being a top 10 player, essentially. But Fritz, Tiafo, Tommy Paul didn't seem like they were going to really step it up to that next level to be maybe a top five guy in the world. And now with Ben Shelton pushing them and all the momentum he has behind him, maybe they'll be able to up their games too now that they see him kind of breathing down their necks. Yeah, exciting things in store. So do you want to jump into the awards? Yeah, sounds good. So, I mean, like any awards show, yeah, we're just going to go through category by category, break down our picks, and also include some honorable mentions for the year, just our ideas of what the best things were for each of these categories. So uh, up first, the newcomer of the year. For me, my pick is Arthur Field. Had a huge rise in ranking, went up over 200 spots, won his first ATP title, and made it into the top 40, which is a pretty significant jump to make it into because there are other guys that made it all the way into the top 100. But I think the top 40 is a crazy jump because there were other guys like Alex Mickelson who had an incredible year. But if you look at the point difference, Fields had almost double Mickelson's ranking points. So that's why I'm going with him for my newcomer of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's kind of a hard one to beat, but I'm just going to go with Alex Mickelson. Like you said, the dude just shot up like crazy uh, ranking wise, kind of came out of nowhere. It's pretty interesting to see the fact that, you know, he's so big, he's so powerful, and he just kind of gets grouped into that serve bot category as an American tennis player. But I think he is my newcomer of the year just because of what he did in Rhode Island, where he, you know, really put his face on the map there. And the fact that you go, over 500 places in less than a year. It's pretty outstanding. 100%. I think he definitely is like deserving of being like one of our picks because he essentially turned pro halfway through this year. And now he's in the top 100 players in the world. That's pretty crazy because Fields obviously turned pro a couple of years ago. They're the same age, but Mickelson turned pro this year. Fields has had a couple of years to maybe kind of adjust to the tour, even though this was really his time coming onto the scene. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. Mickelson was thinking about going to college, correct? And then he decided not to, whereas Fields, there was no shot he was going to college. He was going straight to professional. Yeah, and I think that's just because of how the, essentially just how France is set up in terms of mm -hmm. athletics versus the U.S. Like in the U.S., going to college and playing a college sport is a defined pathway versus in countries like France, if there's a top-level player, they're saying, you're going pro immediately. They're, they're not thinking, oh, you're going to go play at university. And I think that just has to do with the fact that I don't think university sports is necessarily as big of a thing in Europe mm -hmm. as it is in the U.S. Yeah, definitely. Speaking up on that, I think, so you know how a lot of college tennis is, um, a lot of the teams are made up of, uh, I guess, international students. I think it's because if you're not the best in your country, then you kind of get neglected. Like there really is no, I guess, home for you because they just groom the top players. So I think that's a good opportunity for international students to come over to the U.S. to continue their career and play in college. Yeah, I think there is a level where it's like either you're going pro or you're not if you're in another mm -hmm. country. And so if you're in that section where they're like you're below that cutoff, you can come to the U.S. and continue to develop your game at a really high level and get good competition and improve. And maybe once you finish college, you'll be good enough to actually go play on the tour. Uh huh. So do you have an honorable mention for this or no? I couldn't think of one, to be honest. I felt like those guys kind of stood out as the uh, the two biggest newcomers in my book. Yeah, I'm curious to see what everyone else thinks too. So definitely let us know. Yeah, 100%. But uh, up next, 
best tournament performance. I had to go with Shelton, U.S. Open. It's his home tournament, obviously. He'd had that massive run in Australia, but for the rest of the year, he didn't really have that crazy of a year. And then he shows up here, and I think I bet on him to lose in the second round against team. Team withdraws after the first set. But he also had some tough wins in that tournament. It wasn't like he had an easy draw. He beat Tommy Paul and Tiafu, who were great players. But it's early rounds. He beat guys like Kachin and Karatsev, who were like solid players. So he had an excellent run to get there. And I think that third set against Djokovic was pretty close. And I think if he'd won that third set, it could have been a critical turning point because I think it could have been a mental oh, I can beat this guy moment. Unfortunately, he didn't get it done, but I think that was the uh, the best tournament performance of the year. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a good choice. I think it's a good pick. And just like you, I picked someone who didn't necessarily win the tournament, but I still thought had you know a performance of the year, and that was Yannick Sinner at the ATP Finals. Mm. Like This was a tournament of the top eight guys, and he won his first four matches and did beat Djokovic, but then eventually lost to him in the final, uh, kind of used that momentum to build that up into beating Djokovic in the Davis Cup. So Sinner had a great ATP finals, even though he did not win. Yeah. And I mean, also, like, if this was a Grand Slam, he would have eliminated Djokovic, wouldn't have had to play him in the final. So that's one aspect of it. But also, I think that you can't undervalue how tough it is to beat other top eight guys because these guys are such a next level of player. Beating for the top eight guys pretty insane and i think yeah a, a great pick for best tournament performance yeah and according to Sitsipas, it's bigger than a grand slam right winning the atp yeah. finals <laughs> yeah i mean he might be biased but uh yeah, yeah. and then uh i mean honorable mentions for this i i also think alcaraz at wimbledon did not have an easy path to the final had to beat jari berrettini former finalist runa medvedev and djokovic so obviously tough players and beating Djokovic in the final for the first time in however long that's crazy so he didn't get a layup and had to win that final in a spectacular match yeah my honorable mention was Nori at Rio he didn't have like the most insane draw it wasn't really a tough draw but I'm giving credit to him because he had lost to Alcaraz the week before in Buenos Aires in the final and to come back and beat him after being down a set and a break I think that deserves an honorable mention, at least for best tournament performance of the year. Yeah. And I mean, beating Alcaraz in any capacity is a huge accomplishment. Beating him in a final is pretty Mm -hmm. insane. Yeah. On clay too. Exactly. Somewhere where Alcaraz is very comfortable. Mm -hmm. Moving on, let's go to comeback player of the year. So I had to go with Alex Zverev. Obviously had that massive injury in the 2022 French Open against Nadal. Missed the second half of that year after he got his surgery. And then he comes back onto the tour this year and is able to make a few deep runs and eventually qualify for the ATV finals. He also won two tournaments in Hamburg and Chengdu. So I just think it's a crazy accomplishment to be able to come back, win titles, make deep runs after having such a crazy injury the year before. I don't think that many people had very high expectations on Zverev coming into this year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. He's also my pick for comeback player of the year. I think, what do you think is more impressive for him to come back and make it to the ATP finals or win those two titles? Well, I think that making the ATP finals just signals that he was a top level of player for like most of the year, 
which is like a huge accomplishment. Winning those two titles shows that he still has that peak level. So I think mm -hmm. they're both impressive in their own way. Yeah, and I, I think especially coming back after a gruesome injury like that, a lot of players tend to never be the same because they get scared. You know, they are afraid to take chances, but Zverev seemed to just put that behind him and was full speed ahead. Yeah, exactly. You know how a lot of players you get you get tentative, right? You're yeah, you're like, worried oh, to wanna... push full out on like your ankle and have it just snap again. Yeah, geez. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have any honorable mentions? Yeah, I mean, one honorable mention, Nico Jari. He was given a year-long doping ban. I mean, technically it was 11 months, but in 2020, he got a year-long doping ban, essentially. And he was able to climb back into the top 150 in the second half of 2021 when he returned. But then he kind of just sat around there in 2022. And then he moved all the way from 152 to number 19 in 2023. So uh, pretty crazy because he was a good player before the doping ban. And then it seemed like he might just be mediocre after he came back from it. But this year he was able to step it back up to that top level. Yeah, he was exciting to watch. And as you know, and as a lot of the listeners know, I could not stop talking about Jari over the summer. Like He was kind of my favorite guy for a bit. So it's fun to see him, you know, especially after the, the suspension, actually, you know, really make a name for himself. Because I don't know how familiar you were with Jari before his suspension, but, you know, I hadn't really heard of him too much. So for him to come back better than before was, you know, pretty impressive and definitely deserves the honorable mention. 100%. 100%. Another honorable mention I wanted to bring up was uh, Jan Leonard Struff. I mean, he was a former top 30 guy, and then he fell kind of out due to injuries Obviously, this year comes back, makes this massive run at Madrid, makes it all the way to the final in a Masters 1000 tournament, which is a crazy accomplishment for anyone. And he also made the final in Stuttgart. So two different surfaces and makes the final in both. So pretty crazy. And then kind of the second half of the year, he had injuries. He missed Wimbledon. I think he missed the U.S. Open, too. But it was still a good year for him, I think, because he went from a guy that was like, okay, he's on the back half of his his career. Like he's falling backwards to all of a sudden he comes back and he's moving up again. Yeah, the Stroop waffle. Love that that German guy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you pretty much covered it. I, I couldn't agree more. I, and just like Jari, you know, I was pretty high on Stroop too. What did I say? He'd be ranked top 20 by the end of the year? I think, I think you said that about Jari. Jari, okay, and I think so. he, I think he nailed it because he moved to nineteen. I think he nailed to that nineteen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was it was a pretty good bet. And I remember when you said that, I was like, ah, I don't know. I think he, yeah, I was like maybe top thirty, but I don't know about top uh, twenty. And then he ended up getting there, and I was like, oh, well, I, I guess yeah. I was uh, wrong about that one. But yeah, that's uh, how it goes. All right, on to the next. Yeah. Uh, another one kind of similar, but less focused on the dropping out and coming back. Just most improved player. I'm going to go with Chris Eubanks on this one. I mean, at the age of 27, sixth year of being a pro player, moves from outside the top 120 to number 34, and actually peaked in the top 30 this year. So I think it's just crazy to see a guy that's never really had that top level. Because the thing about the comeback players is like they were at the top level, and they were able to return to it. Eubanks, we'd never seen this level out of him before. And he's able to perform, win his first career title, make a deep run at Wimbledon, and just emerge, especially in the grass court season, as a guy that can contend with the best players in the world. Yeah, had some big wins too. Like, remember against Tsitsipas? Exactly, exactly. 
So he is capable. He's definitely, um, you know, not someone that you could just walk over anymore. I'm also going with an American, Ben Shelton. So he is the most improved player, in my opinion, because he started the year off at 96 and ended at 17. And he even got his first title this year in Tokyo. Let's see. He made it to the quarterfinal of the Australian Open. Um, and that was only his second slam, too. His first time outside of the country. Second slam. I remember his first slam. Uh, was the U.S. Open the year before, and he was a first-round exit. So that's when I kind of first discovered Ben Shelton. You know, then he kind of didn't do much. Like, he had a weird year, Ben Shelton, because remember, he made that incredible run to the quarterfinals in Australia and then just kind of sat dormant. Um, yeah, I remember I made a comment about it <laughs> during that cold period. I was like, yeah. seems like he's just signing up for tournaments, collecting checks because <laughs> he he signed up and lost like nine first rounds, I want to say, and maybe had like mm -hmm. a two in 13 record. He was not doing that great. And then he comes to the U.S. Open and just outperforms everybody. Like no one outperformed their expectations as much as he did in that tournament. Yeah, no, I know. It was kind of rough before, but maybe that's just chalk it up to first year on tour. Uh, yeah. Could be. Especially but, because he never played like clay tournaments before. So kind of understandable that didn't perform well on yeah, clay. Yeah, definitely. And he also had a big win against Yannick Sinner this year too. Uh, made it to the quarterfinals in the Shanghai Masters. Um, and this dude just plays like a big, but moves like a small, if that makes sense. Like he's got such powerful strokes and he's got such good he's got great net ability too and good hands so that's my pick for most improved player 100 percent, and yeah it, it looks like he has some momentum going into next year because it wasn't just that he performed at the u.s open it was that he was able to kind of carry that into the next couple tournaments and continue to play pretty well as the year kind of died down yeah ended at 17 i think he was 15 his, his career high was ranking 15 so very impressive 100%. Honorable mention for this category, I'm going to go with a guy that didn't have the biggest ranking move, but I'm going to go with Manorino. At the age of 35, he went from number 46 in the world to a career-high number 22, won three titles this year, which was more than he had won in the rest of his entire career. He'd only won two titles before this year. He consistently was able to beat top-level guys and was able to beat guys that are – at the highest level, he beat Medvedev and he beat Fritz. So he beat guys that are like at the top, top level this year. And I just think that he's a guy that nobody's really going to give the respect to in, in terms of nobody would really put him on a most improved player list, I don't think. But I wanted to give him the love here in the honorable mention. Yeah, there we go. That's crazy. He reached his career high at age 35. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Yeah, because I know you mentioned that in another podcast, too, about older players kind of reaching their peaks like way later. Yeah. And, and just... uh, I mean, he turned pro in like 2004, I want to say. So he's been like on tour forever. Was that and when he had hair? Probably. I mean, <laughs> he was, what, 17 at that yeah. point? So Jeez. I'd assume. But uh, <laughs> it, it, I think it's just a crazy, crazy to see a guy like him at 35 make a jump like that. Yeah, another honorable mention player here um, for most improved player, FAA. Was that, was that a bad joke? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Is, is there like an opposite category? But I don't want to go too hard on I know, FAA, I man. I've I already done say, it. I, I had, it was too tempting. I had to. <laughs> oh, man. No, that's a good honorable mention. Yeah. So uh, not FAA, but 
Moving on to match of the year. I am going to go with, I think, what was the best match of the year in terms of quality. Maybe it wasn't the most significant in terms of the, the prestige that came with it. But like I mentioned earlier, my match of the year is Djokovic versus Alcaraz in the Cincinnati Masters final. It's not Wimbledon. We all know people think Wimbledon was the match of the year. But in my opinion, yep. this was the better match. Let's just go with a, a breakdown of it. Djokovic broke him early, then got broken back and that lost that first set. And it really looked like Djokovic had nothing in the tank. It was a hot day and he was struggling with the conditions. And I think that built in more into the idea of like people like, okay, Djokovic is getting old. Alcaraz is coming on. Alcaraz is going to beat him again. And it's Djokovic is done pretty much. And then Djokovic is able to turn that switch in his mind like he did in that 2021 French Open final against Tsitsipas. And he's able to go, no, 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 I'm not done. Comes back in that second set. He's down a break in the second set, takes it back, takes the second set in a super tight tie break. Super tight. I think it was like 11-9. And then goes into that third set, goes up a break. And in terms of quality, I think this was the best tennis. If there was just a set of the year, I think you have to say that this was maybe the best set of tennis of the year just because there were so many crazy rallies from these two guys, just insane levels of athleticism. I mean, there was that match point for Alcaraz where he made like three crazy saves, made like a sliding up the line shot to save match point. It was just insane. But Djokovic got up a break and he had multiple match points, both 5-3 and at 5-4. Gets broken. Alcaraz forces it all the way to a tiebreak again, but then Djokovic ends up taking it. I just think it was a spectacular match to watch, and I don't think it gets much better than that match. Yeah, definitely. That's kind of funny that for it not being a Grand Slam final, it was. it's one of those matches that I specifically remember, like where I was, what I was doing while I was watching, and I honestly can't say that for a lot of for a lot of matches. So this is definitely a you know memorable match, hundred percent. One that yeah. one that will go down in the books, but. I'm going to go with the more prestigious matchup, the Wimbledon final this year, uh, the Djokovic-Alcaraz. So it wasn't as tight, I would say. You know, we had Djokovic just completely dominate in the first set. He, he took it 6-1. Second set was a lot tighter. Uh, Alcaraz ended up taking that one in the breaker. And then the third set had the infamous 26-minute game. And um, That was crazy. Yeah, it, it was pretty nuts. I mean what was it 32 points 13 deuces just all around crazy um Djokovic so Alcaraz won the third Djokovic took the fourth six three and we have a five set this was our first uh or the only slam of the year that went into five sets so um yeah Alcaraz took the fifth six four and he won his first Wimbledon title I'm thinking about that now was this the only Grand Slam final of the year that went more than three sets yeah, it was because, actually because yeah, yeah. Djokovic beat Sitsipas right in three in Australia. He beat Rude in three oh, in the easy French, right? Three, yeah. yeah, and yeah. then he beat Medvedev in three in the U.S. In Open. Three, uh huh. That's yeah, pretty crazy. So. so Djokovic, Djokovic won eleven out of fourteen sets. Jeez, pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that is crazy when you the perspective, man. It's nuts. Yeah. I mean, they say, you know, football is a game of inches and then Titus is a game of actual like millimeters. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. And I, I, I understand. I mean, this pick makes sense as, as the match of the year, like 
I obviously I believe in that my pick is the best, mm-hmm. but I think that the Wimbledon final, if you're going on prestige, if you're going on the pressure these guys feel, I think you can't compare. Wimbledon is the biggest tournament of the year. Right. Like it's, and there's no argument that is the most prestigious and Djokovic needs it. He has so much pressure on him. Alcaraz is like, I can't let this guy beat me again. There's, it was so much hype around it and it delivered. Yeah. I mean, to each their own, I, I picked it as a good feature with these two, you know, whenever it's Djokovic and Alcaraz getting together, you know, you're hopefully going to have a, a good match. Yeah. And uh, for honorable mention, I remember, I think I said one a, a few weeks ago and I was like, this was the match of the year. It wasn't Alcaraz and Djokovic. But to be honest, I don't remember what match it was now. So <laughs> clearly it wasn't the match of the year. But then I was looking at some lists of like other people's matches of the year to see if I could jog my memory on any matches. And I completely forgot about the Murray Berrettini match in Australia because it felt, it feels like so long ago. Obviously it was the beginning of the year, but it was a crazy match first round and it was just insane. Murray took a two set lead. Berrettini battled back, took the third. I remember watching this match and I was like, oh no, Murray, you can't blow this. And then Berrettini it takes the fourth in a close tiebreak. I'm like, this is just over. And then somehow Murray takes it in the tiebreak in the fifth. Just an insane win for Murray. I remember being so hyped for him. And I think it's just incredibly impressive, especially considering how old Murray is at this point. Yeah, no, that that is a good honorable mention. For me, I didn't really have a specific honorable mention because it was kind of tough. Like you said, you know, we have matches of the week every single week that are crazy. And I remember speaking about them, but they just kind of fought like every other match, you know. And for me, it was kind of hard to pick a match of the year that wasn't a like a title, a final. So drop a comment on your on your favorites because I need to jog my memory. But yeah, moving on to uh, player of the year. This is the big one. And I think there's no real competition. <laughs> you have to go with Djokovic for player of the year. What? I mean, three no Grand Slams, two Masters 1000, wins the ATB finals, has seven total titles, 56 and seven record on the year. Like, that's just crazy for a guy his age to do. And I had to say, like, just because it's expected, doesn't mean it's any less impressive. Like he's still a player of the year, even though the expectations on him are so high. Yeah. Enough said. I mean, undisputed player of the year. I I really can't disagree. Yeah. I feel like this is really the only award that we have. That's not subjective. You know, like you could have a clear answer. It's very objective. Djokovic is the player of the year, right? I mean, how else would you categorize player of the year? Like, is there any argument for other guys? Well, I think it comes down to how, obviously I just kind of said how I defined player of the year. And it's just like Mm -hmm. who performed best in like all the tournaments they played in. And that's where like my honorable mentions come in. Cause like Alcaraz, I mean, he was the number one player in the world. So he had high expectations, but even he, I don't think had as high of expectations as Djokovic did. And you could argue he was the player of the year because he established this wasn't a fluke. I didn't just win a grand slam because Djokovic wasn't there. Obviously, beat Djokovic in Wimbledon. He made the semifinal of every slam he played in, won two Masters 1000 titles and six total titles. And I think, honestly, through the first half of the year, I think he probably was the player of the year because Mm -hmm. he had won six titles after Wimbledon. He had won his two Masters 1000. He had beaten Djokovic in a Grand Slam. 
And he also missed a good portion of that first half of that season because of injury. So if he'd been able to carry that, I think he could have an argument for player of the year because he would have a grand slam and have missed a grand slam. So then it would be arguable, I think. But I don't think it is because of how the end of his year went. Yeah, it's pretty crazy that he had a year like this and he still wasn't like undisputed. But I don't know. Has anyone else through years in the past, can you think of anyone that has had a year, you know, as good as Djokovic this year? I mean, right off the top, Djokovic has had it in the past. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you look at it like 2021, he had a pretty Uh comparable year. 2015, he had a pretty comparable year. Even 2011. I mean, Djokovic has had like this season was insane for Djokovic. And I don't think it was even his best year, Jeez, (laughs) which is just crazy to say. So does that do you think that's a negative for the sport then? This year's best player. It wasn't even his best year. Okay, you know, I see what you're saying. The best player isn't a guy in his prime. Correct, basically. And I'm just thinking, okay, like the competition was way better in 2011 than it is now. Would you say that or no? I think the competition was different. I think you had okay, uh, Federer and Nadal and you had uh, mm. some other top guys. I think now it's like just Djokovic and he's trying to fend off what feels like an army of these younger guys trying to dethrone him versus at that point it was like Djokovic was competing for that top spot there were the big three and then you Mm -hmm. had Murray in there you had Sanga in there you had Burdich in there yeah you had all these guys that were I mean Ferrer too I don't want to forget about him (laughs) Del Potro was in there respect on my boy Ferrer exactly I mean like there's so many guys that uh at that point were up there Mm -hmm. but they weren't like separated in terms of age really yeah okay that's fair um okay so did you want to go on do you have other honorable mentions yeah i mean another guy that if you looked at player of the year differently could have been the player of the year is sinner i mean in terms of guys that outperformed probably expectations he probably was the the number one guy just because he was outside the top 10 to start the year took this massive step up by the end of the year he was playing like maybe the best player in the world i mean like if you look at the last month or so, like his level was just crazy. And he was able to beat all of the top guys. He made the semifinal in Wimbledon, obviously made the finals in that world tour finals. He beat Djokovic twice in two weeks and end of the year at number four. I think that if you look at his year in the second half, it's just a crazy level that he was playing at. Like he collected in the same time that, Alcaraz kind of took a slight step back. Sinner kind of took that step up. Mm, yeah, he, he almost like pounced on. Exactly, exactly. Like after the U.S. Open, Sinner probably played better than Alcaraz. I don't think probably. I think he did play better than Alcaraz. Mm-hmm. And then the last guy, obviously, I mean, I just, I think if we're mentioning the one, two, and four guys, you can't forget Medvedev. I mean, he wasn't really in contention to be the player of the year because he didn't do anything that crazy. I think he had a great year but nothing that would have made him stand out to be that player of the year. He made deep runs in majors, obviously made the U S open final. He had five titles and two masters, 1000s in Italy and in Miami, with one of which was a clay uh, tournament. So obviously that's big for him. And so like, definitely it wasn't a disappointing year for him. Like he had a great year, but I think he was probably hoping for more. Yeah. This is like the epitome of honorable mention. Yeah, exactly. Like you did a great, you, you had a great year. It Uh, just wasn't as good as Djokovic. Yeah. Just runner up, you know, 
fantastic exactly. year. Exactly. Yeah, that Miami title was was interesting because I like I never go into tournaments rooting for Medvedev to win the whole thing. It always comes down to like, okay, he's playing this, he's playing this person, he's playing this person. For me, I don't know. I kind of wanted Medvedev to win in Miami just because I know he kind of has roots there. Like one of my buddies, actually a tennis, an old tennis partner, saw him in a restaurant in Miami and asked to take a picture of them. And Medvedev said no. He said, yeah, <laughs> he said maybe after dinner. So now he has like a hatred for Medvedev. Dude, I mean, you can't. <laughs> did he like go up to him while he was eating? I think so. Yeah, dude, you can't do that. That's. No, that, I think. Not. I think your buddy was in the wrong. One hundred. I, I. I agree. I agree. And I think <laughs> it's funny how people have these stories about why they hate professional athletes. Like, yeah. so, like I know someone who hates Steph Curry because he just snubbed him on a dub, like when he was walking by him, and now yeah. he just passionately hates him. You're like, dude. A. He probably didn't even see you. Secondly, like, imagine if you were in his position. And you're just trying to eat dinner and like hang out with your friends and family. And some random person you don't know just walks up and is like, hey, can I get a picture with you? You're probably just going to be like, fuck off, dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But, so, uh, yeah. But long story short, I'm glad he won in Miami. Yeah. So that includes our 2023 awards. Yeah. Awards ceremony. Sounds good. So uh, let's hop into segments. So let's uh, do it. what's new in tennis? What did you see this week? Dude, I'm pumped about this one. I, I mean, I'm not pumped for the actual event, but I'm pumped about this news. Um, so there's going to be a Netflix slam. They just announced this yesterday. What? A net so Netflix will be live streaming a sports event. It's gonna be Nadal versus Alcaraz March 3rd in Las Vegas. So it's gonna have other matches too. It's not just one match, but those are okay. still TBD. And apparently this is Netflix's second live sporting event. So they had done yeah. one with golf players paired up with F1 drivers. I didn't know that. I uh, I clicked you on the first like one. You seem like you would know that, right? It was funny because I saw like the description of that one. And I thought it was like going to be just like a mini little coverage of it. Like almost like a, a one event docuseries. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I thought it was going to be like, going through like hole by hole and being shot like a, a documentary would be right and yeah. then i click on it and it's just a live event i'm like <laughs> dude i don't care enough to watch golf yeah i mean like this is just watching golf like there's no special thing about this for me so i just like clicked on it saw it was just golf and just clicked off yeah no i mean i think it's super interesting that netflix is kind of dipping their toes into sports in general or live sports too because they've already done the Drive to Survive, Breakpoint, was it Full Swing, the golf? Yeah, I mean, no, they have. So they're they're expanding like their whole mm -hmm. Netflix sports division. Yeah, like, I mean, it makes sense then because they did do Breakpoint. So another thing, though, I kind of feel like this isn't going to happen with Nadal just because of his injury. And it's interesting why they picked those two. I mean, maybe uh, it, it makes sense because they're both from Spain. They capture a huge global audience, the two, but. Like is that the biggest rivalry? If I was no, Netflix, I, think, I was I'm choosing Alcaraz and Djokovic. I think, yeah, I was about to say I think there's one reason, and it's because of uh, Djokovic's policy on uh, getting the jab. <laughs> yeah. Damn, so uh, I think they don't really want to. I think a lot of people don't necessarily support Djokovic because of his stance on stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, speaking of Djokovic. Do you think he's like blackballed from the media? Because you know how I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that he got a new agent where he's trying to take the next step of life after tennis because he's always been the villain. You know, he's kind of got to change his personal appearance. Yeah, I mean, 
it's one of those things where like I feel like if you really look at it, he doesn't need to. He has enough fans already, and people will always look at him still as the greatest of all time, or like mm. at least the most accomplished of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think he needs to change his image in order to do that. I think that he already has that locked in, and maybe he feels like he needs to change it. If I was him, I would say, dude, like enough people love you already. Like you mm. don't need to do anything. You have plenty of money. You don't need to do any sponsorships or anything. Just like get locked in and try to, once you do retire, then try to figure out what your next step is going to be. Yeah. And I think the fact that he is so, and I don't want to say stubborn, but so like committed to his values is what makes him likable to some people too. Like the fact that he's not willing to change. Um, this is actually funny that just popped in my head. So Aaron Rodgers, you know, he's kind of, yeah. you know, <laughs> same wavelength. As similar. Yeah. yeah. Similar, similar uh, policy politics, but he nicknamed him. Uh, he said on Twitter, hashtag Novaks Djokovic. <laughs> That's a great one. I know. That's it. No, speaking of Djokovic, I saw an ad for him on 60 Minutes after the football game the other day. I think it was on mm. Sunday. So I definitely yeah. want to check out that interview because I didn't see it, but some interesting stuff in the highlight or not the highlight, but the the preview. So yeah. I, th- I think, I think they be... definitely asked him about the vaccine. Yeah. Well, I think they. They mentioned something about his mindset. They're like, oh, how does it feel to be... I don't want to misquote it, but they basically said, you're lucky to have this mindset. And he's cut the guy off right away. He's like, no, 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 I'm not lucky. Like this, I, I worked for, yeah. I trained. Yeah, yeah. it's like, you you can't just... Yeah, he's like, I wasn't born with this mindset. Like right. I created it. It's like saying David Goggins was born with that mindset. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about like, if you've ever read his books... He's always yeah. like, when I was younger, I didn't have this mindset. I was like the opposite of it. And I then I like was able to become this next level person. Like, it's not like you were just born being that way. Mm-hmm, for sure. But I know we kind of went off on a tangent, but what do you think about Netflix, this whole thing, this tennis tournament, like from everything, like the fact that it's Netflix, the fact that it's Djokovic and, or not Djokovic, sorry, the fact that it's Alcaraz and Nadal, um, the fact I that mean, it's in Vegas, like what? What is this? To me, it's just like I think it'll be a cool event if you're there. I think it'd be like cool to go and if you're in Vegas and see him play. I don't think it's actually going to be that big of a Netflix event because it's mm-hmm. essentially an exhibition match. Like nobody's yeah. gonna care who wins or loses, really. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see what the ATP, the USTA, if they're like. Netflix is stepping on our toes here and just scheduling tennis matches. Well, but. I mean, speaking on like the uh, organizations, my what's new of the week is there's this idea of the premier tennis tour, which is like all in the news recently. And it's like, you actually were talking about this, I think early in the year with the grand slams and all the top tournaments kind of working together to create this, like essentially premier level where it's like, they're just playing in the big events and there's way less small events for these top level guys so that they don't have to grind as hard and be overworked. They can just play in the, the massive ones that people are really focused on. I don't know how I feel about that. I what don't. Are you, what are your thoughts? I'm still like kind of digesting this. I don't think it's the best because it would make it so that all the tournaments that were like mid level, like ATP 500s, I think would suffer a lot mm. because they want to qualify as the top. I doubt they would qualify as being in the top top level. And 
or even if, if they are included, then that would mean that ATP 250s would be struggling because mm-hmm. there's going to be a cutoff there somewhere. And all of a sudden, the top-level guys are only going to be playing in tournaments above that level. And all these tournaments that they used to be able to – or they used to go to are now just not going to get any of the top guys. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that one bit because then you miss out on uh, big upsets too. Exactly, exactly. You don't mm-hmm. see uh, like – Morosian. Yeah, you don't see Morosian. You don't see uh, the Japanese guy in uh, Tokyo. Like that oh, just yeah, wouldn't happen yeah, as yeah. much just because – he wouldn't be get the opportunity to play top guys. Mm, yeah. So hopefully that doesn't happen. This yeah. is uh we'll see. Or at least if it does we'll happen, it, so it would still continue to play mm-hmm. in the lower level tournaments. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bet of the week. Not not much action here, huh? Yeah. I mean, last week we kind of said no bets and then went with a bunch of bets <laughs> that were like possibilities. So this week I just kind of wanted to look for a bet that was like possible for the upcoming year. And one of the ones I saw was her catch being plus 175 to be the ace leader in 2024. Mm. And I feel like this is just a lock because he was ahead by so much this year. Obviously, he could have like an injury. But outside of that, I don't really see anyone passing him in the next year. I mean, you have guys like Shelton. I saw him on this list. He was like plus a thousand. So he was like Mm. a crazy underdog. But I feel like unless someone like him makes a crazy step up, no one's going to pass her catch next year. Yeah, I agree. I, I like that bet because I was also looking at this list and there's no one other than her coach where I was like, oh yeah, like that's a possibility. Yeah. Like it was just, you know, her coach and then steep drop off. Exactly. 100%. I think Bublik was, you know, one of the top contenders yeah. too. Yeah. And you you but, just, I feel like her catch just hasn't yeah, locked up. Yeah. I mean, unless he just, something happens, like you said, maybe an injury or where he just doesn't play in certain tournaments, but... I think that's all his. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, my bet of the week. I'm going with something pretty interesting. So I'm taking Novak Djokovic, the over 1.5 ranking at the end of 2024 for plus 110. So basically, I'm betting that he's not going to be number one ranked at the end of the 2024 season. So he's a favorite. He's a to favorite. Be number one. Yes. That's... And for him not to be, for him to be number one was minus 150. I mean, that's. <sighs> A crazy bet. I think that the odds there, there's so many things that can happen in a year of tennis. I mean, think of how close it was this year. And then you go to next year and Alcaraz is only improving and Djokovic is only getting older and all these young guys are continuing to just push him. I feel like it's going to be tough for him to just continue to hold that, hold on to that as the years go on. But we've also seen, I mean, you look at someone like LeBron this year, not to, bring him up again but this year in the nba he's like 25 games in and he's averaging 25 points eight assists and seven rebounds still and shooting better than he has in like the last five years so you never know what's going to happen with the advancements they're having in like health and keeping people uh at the high level until they're getting old yeah, this will be an interesting one because I know I'm definitely going to forget in like eight months that I even placed this bet. Yeah, exactly. Just, I'm just going to wake up one day and have more money in my account and be like, wait, what? Or more just or less, be like honestly. the odds. You just see the odds completely shift and you're like, oh, I'm just going to cash this one out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joker sure like loses second round at Australian Open. You're like, cash <laughs> out right now. Easy money. Exactly. All right. Next segment. Well, I mean, match of the week, I'll be honest. There were no ATV matches. It's the end yeah. of the year. It's a weird time, man. So maybe next week we can go with like a, a historical match 
yeah. people can maybe let us know if they want to see that. But I yeah. think that might be a cool idea. But I think, I mean, obviously there were no matches of the week this week because there were no ATP matches. So I know it's, it's a bummer, crazy, but yeah, we got to wait. So until, used to, uh, gotta wait until Australia. I can't wait, man. I am just, I feel like my daily routine is just out of whack now because yeah. I can't watch tennis TV. What's well, an 11 month season. And then all of a sudden <laughs> yeah, I know. the one We're month spoiled, off, like yeah. what's going on, what's going on. <laughs> I know. Cause any other sport, you know, like when it's not football season, I'm just like, can it be football already? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so much shorter of a season that mm -hmm. it's like you get used to it. Like by about uh, July, you're like, okay, I'm kind of ready for football to be back, but like I'm locked. Mm -hmm. Like I don't expect to see it every week. Yeah. And I'm also, yeah. The thing about tennis is you don't need to be like watching every single match. You're like, you would go insane because there are, you know, tournaments every single week, multiple matches every single day. So it's a nice sport when it isn't season to just kind of check in on it when you want. I feel like it's kind of like baseball, you know, like, you know, there's so many games that you just check in in the postseason. Yeah, you check in and you're like, oh, yeah, they uh, they won about seven games since I last checked. <laughs> uh. All right, and that's the show. If you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube at Painting Lines Podcast. Feel free to shoot us a DM or email us any questions or thoughts at paintinglinespodcast at gmail.com.